It's the wrestling talk that happens after they kick us off the air. It's the finishing move, the dark matches. And now your hosts, Big John Radcliffe, Road Dog Adam Gillespie, and the bearded wrestling fan Chris Colwell. Good evening. Welcome to the finishing move, the dark matches. It's me, Big John Radcliffe, along with my tag team partner, Chris Colwell, as we just wrapped up episode one of 2020 of the finishing move that you can hear every week on the Atlanta Sports X, 1230 AM, 106.3 FM, as well as you can download the Sports X app. Take us wherever you go. This is our podcast version of it. We like to have a little bit of fun on here and we like to just kind of go a little bit out of the norm on what we would normally talk about on the finishing move. But first, before we go any further, Mr. Colwell, how are you this evening? Sir? I am doing quite well. It's a brand new year. You know, my vision still sucks right now, so I don't have 2020, but even though we're in 2020, but a lot of people keep saying that. So I'm holding out hope that at some point this year, maybe I will have that 2020 vision. How long have you been sitting on that uh, that joke? Since oh, probably midway through last year, obviously I failed miserably. I'd like to apologize to all of our fans and Finishing Move Nation. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Finishing Move Nation. There's a nation out there? Okay, we'll go with that. But <laughs> tonight on the Finishing Move, the dark matches. You know, we, we kind of started going down a very weird rabbit hole here, and uh, we wanted to continue down that rabbit hole because, you know, you always wonder what happened to certain pro wrestling superstars, WWE superstars, whatever the case may be. And some of them even, you know, turned up as uh, we saw Arn Anderson. He appeared on AEW with Cody Rhodes as kind of a coach for Cody Rhodes uh, on AEW this past Wednesday. But we started talking during the show. If you were listening to the finishing move, the show, go back, listen to it first, and then you'll understand why we're going down this podcast because we wanted to do kind of a where are they now? Now, one team that was a big portion or they had a big moment in WWE history. And honestly, I feel like the WWE really didn't capitalize on it the way that they could have. I think they could have been more because they were such young superstars that I don't even think that they really kind of needed to add a coach. I just think they needed to progress them along maybe a little bit slower. And the team that we're talking about, it's the Nexus. Now, the Nexus came about, it was the formation as uh, WWE, when they would have what their version at the time would have been like an NXT or Tough Enough, the contestants kind of got a little bit upset, and the contestants were partnered with WWE superstars. Well, one night they came to Monday Night Raw and they literally just tore the whole thing apart. And I don't mean IE NWO where it was kind of It was of a lot like that. It was methodical with the NWO at the beginning where you gradually grew. This was just this core group that initially it consisted of Wade Barrett, Darren Young, Skip Sheffield, Michael Tarver, Justin Gabriel, Heath Slater, David Otunga, uh Husky Harris, Mike McGillicuddy. They were kind of the core that started the whole right, thing. Right. And they literally just ripped that place apart. And, oh, I'm sorry, I, did I say Daniel Bryant? But, you did not say Daniel Bryant. Okay, and Daniel Bryant was a part of it. Um, they were kind of the core that started the whole thing. They literally came out, black T-shirts, big N on it, and they were just there to beat up John Cena. Well, just remember the, the concept of NXT in its inception was their version of the ultimate fighter. You put coaches, WWE superstar trainer, coaches, yeah. as supposed to be the trainer for these guys, and... We see where they progress, but then Wade Barrett wins the first NXT, and you're seeing what they're going to do with him. So the storyline is he brings the other eight or the other seven participants, which were several of who you mentioned, I think minus McGillicuddy and minus Harris because they were season two. That's right. 
Um, it was Brian. It was Gabriel Slater, Slater, Darren Young, Otunga, Tarver, Sheffield, and I think I blanked on one of them, or I may have got them all. There's so many of them, but there was eight of them in its originality. But then Daniel Bryan on the first night gets a little too overzealous and gets fired for about a month. But really, it kind of was better in its core with the what the, they were called the NXT Seven. And then that's somewhere in there. Somebody must have accidentally called them the Nexus. Nexus when they were trying to say NXT Seven. Boom, you got it. I'm with you. That was honestly. I don't know that WWE knew what they had there. I don't think they did. It either. was an it was an accident storyline. It's like, hey, let's just have them debut and make some havoc. And the more it caught fire, the more it caught people's attention. I'll be honest with you. After WrestleMania that year, this is 2010, I kind of zoned out of WWE for the better part of the first half of the year i just had a lot going on i honestly i wasn't that interested in what they were doing i zoned out a little bit but that storyline caught my attention again and i made sure that when SummerSlam came along that year it was the seven of the nexus members against team wwe led by john cena yeah they got me hooked again and i was watching pretty much every week at that point but it's a great storyline that unfortunately just did not get the payoff that it needed to get. Now, let's before we go into where are they now in terms of it, let's continue down this rabbit hole a little bit. When you talk about, you know, Team WWE, led by John Cena. Okay, uh, I'll go ahead and I'll say it, and I might be alone on this one. That was the most pathetic conglomerate of talent. First Random. of all, let's, let's take a step back. Okay, you had the Miz, who at the time was a heel, right? Was a part of that team. Well, no, he actually he he led them along as if he was going to be part of WWE, but not saying officially. And he said he was going to make his decision at SummerSlam to the point that when he came out to do it, John Cena comes out and says, "By the way, we got tired of waiting on you and made our decision on our own. You're not part of our team." And that's when Daniel Bryan got introduced as Team WWE member. That's when he heel. made his return. He was a heel. Neil, Miz was a heel. And was you never going to really be part you of had, that team. Uh, you had Edge. Edge and Jericho were both heels at the time. For some strange reason, unbeknownst to me, you had Brett the Hitman Hart. Well, he was fresh off the Vince McMahon match at WrestleMania. So and he they couldn't were move capitalized. or no, he barely couldn't. walk. Well, it's not that he couldn't move. It's that he couldn't take a bump. Couldn't move. He could barely walk. It was very. <laughs> he he if was it moving. Were, okay, just couldn't take a bump. If it was a race between him and Undertaker to the ring, we'd still be sitting there to wait and see who would have gotten to the ring. And Goldberg would have got a concussion, spearing both oh, of them. My goodness, but it was just the worst group uh, uh, that they had put together. But in terms of Team WWE, but the Nexus, as they had, and first person that we're, we obviously talked about, Daniel Bryan. Could you imagine what the WWE would have been like if the WWE had left the termination on the table? No Daniel Bryant. No yes movement. No, uh, does he meet Brie Bella? I don't know. That's personal life. We won't get into that. But there's no yes movement. There's no uh, Daniel Bryant and Kane tag team. No team hell no. Yes. No <laughs> No super... Uh Hippie world title belt that we got last year. Oh. What, what, the hemp world title belt? Made of hemp. But you and wouldn't rocks. have had the guy, you wouldn't have had the guy and it played the perfect heel to put over Kofi Kingston at WrestleMania. I mean, he was the right guy to do it, in my opinion, because it was kind of like playing, it was re- the roles were reversed. That's debatable because you could have actually played up the fact of, and Kofi Kingston did. 
you could have let Randy Orton put him over. Well, eventually he did. Randy Orton was the one who put everything, when Kofi Kingston's original push, Randy Orton was the one who put it on hold because Kofi didn't go with the finish that Randy wanted or was scripted or however you want to say it. And ultimately, it didn't happen. Also, on top of that, one of the things that you would have missed out on, what would AJ, well, AJ Lee would have found something to do. Because remember, AJ Lee was, I'm using the big finger quotes, the big Daniel Bryan's girlfriend. She was Daniel Bryan's girlfriend. So remember the kiss that led to the eight second loss at WrestleMania with the bro kick. So that began the yes movement. There could have been some things that could have happened there. Poor Sheamus. Another member of it, and we, that we know where he is. He went by the name Skip Skip Sheffield at the time. Can't oh, say. Oh, Skippy. It's hard to stutter with it. Uh, <laughs> he was once also named Ryan Reeves. Now he's named Ryback Reeves. It's Ryback. Cannot believe he changed his name yes. legally to Ryback. He legally changed his name to Ryback. Ryback is now in, he's out of the WWE. Uh, he's health and nutrition. And there's been reports that he's trying to get into AEW. Oh, dear Lord, no. Here's my only thing with Ryback. Ryback looked like, in terms of physically, if Goldberg had a baby with Rob Van Dam. <laughs> no, I looked at him. He he reminded me. Of, if Goldberg had made it, you remember, what were they? Uh, oh, my goodness. They were um, the tag team that WCW had that was like high voltage or something like that. Okay. Robbie Rage, yes. they were these jacked up dudes that couldn't do anything. They just, they look, you know, they could flex their muscles and they looked really good in a singlet, apparently. That was about it. They couldn't really wrestle at all. And one of them managed to become Rick Steiner's tag team partner champion, cha- champion when Rick Steiner was looking for a championship partner or something like that. I don't even remember. That wasn't Judy Bagwell was WWE tag team champion for a split second. Well, Judy Bagwell was a stud, brother. I mean, you know, <laughs> she kept her son in check, didn't she? No, she didn't. Well, then there was the Judy Bagwell on a pole match. Do you want to go back to that? Or Viagra on a pole match. Or anything on a pole match. Vince Russo staple. But Ryback went on to have, <laughs> I guess, do we want to call it a legendary career? He did not have a legendary or short career. career. Uh, he was a WWE Intercontinental Champion, WWE Tag Team Champion. Uh, that was really it. Didn't him, him and Curtis Axel? No, they, they never actually Axel? won the belts. He was. He did it. Did he win the U.S. title? I know he was going after it, going after Kalisto. No, he never won the U.S. He, he never beat Kalisto. He won, the he won one title. Yeah, I think, look, Ryback had the potential to do a lot more, but I think he surprised people in having the potential in the first place. I loved the thing when they they debuted him and he was just running. He, they made it to where watching him destroy jobbers, which is fun to watch because he was like, looked like he was probably legitimately hurting them, which... He it, was. We later discovered from CM Punk. Yeah, CM Punk will tell you all about that, but you sit there and watch it, and it's like, oh, he got beat up and all this. And it's him going through one guy, then it's him going through two guys, then it's him going through three guys. That was actually pretty fun. It was the it was taking a jobber match and making it fun, and it got him over to a certain degree, and I think the original Feed Me More stuff and everything was good. I thought that they turned him heel too quickly, and that kind of, I think, cut him out from under his legs because, you know, well, you know, you couldn't have a baby face versus baby face match with Ryback and John Cena. No, Ryback just had to be the heel because John Cena could never go heel. That was just you, poor you decision on their part. I think they, and once again, I think with the whole, Ryback fell into the same category as the Nexus. 
they pushed him along too fast, too soon. They did, and yeah. it was, if you if you'll go back to that time when he originally went after they put him in the world title picture with CM Punk because John Cena got hurt. John Cena was in the feud with CM Punk. Cena hurt his arm or something, had to be out for a couple months. Bicep, yes. They needed somebody to step up and Ryback. They they did a, a scene backstage where CM Punk's kind of like. You know, at this point, he's newly healed. He's got Paul Heyman as his manager, and he's kind of running rough shot. And he did something I don't recall what it was. He did something very heelish and was like walking backstage. And all of a sudden, you see this big hulking dude just staring at him. And it was almost like the Batista Triple H moment when Batista was handing Triple H the title when he was still part of Evolution, but didn't let it go and kind of smiled at Triple H, and the fans just kind of went nuts. It was not quite that over, but it was one of those moments where it's like, oh, snap, CM Punk might get killed by this guy. I and- think one of the things that also Ryback needed a, a manager. Yeah. I think yeah. part of it, and, and you know, I always, I'm hard on Vince McMahon. I, I hope one day to meet Vince McMahon, and I'd love to have the honor to pick his brain a little bit. Because one thing we know about Vince McMahon, he has a type, he has certain things that he likes. Ryback fell into the type. Mm-hmm. It was Ultimate Warrior. It was Hulk Hogan. It was uh, Bill Goldberg. It was mm-hmm. Batista. It, mm-hmm. it was a push at one point in time for someone who we're going to talk about a little bit later, Mason Ryan. Oh, gosh. It, he fell into a look that Vince McMahon liked, mm-hmm. and he rushed him so much that he could have been the biggest hindrance for his career. Another one that we'll talk about, where are they now? Darren Young. <laughs> It's a very good question. Now, Darren Young came out on TMZ as being openly gay, and he was professed to be one of the first openly gay pro wrestlers. Yes. And, and keeping in mind, for those of you who are casual watchers of WW, of pro wrestling, it is a very testosterone-driven business. Mm-hmm. So it is one of those things that is there, scantily clad and things of that nature. Unfortunately, we are in a society that people are not sensitive to the uh, the lifestyles of others, and Darren Young got some very scathing and harsh questions, but he did go on to be a one-time tag team champion with Titus O'Neil, the primetime players. Uh, what was their chant? I can't think of their chant now. Millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Millions of millions dollars. Millions of dollars. That's right. So he did go on to have a tag team championship run. I like the primetime players. The primetime players. That's right. I actually did enjoy them. They weren't anything necessarily special to watch in the ring, but... You know, I, th- I like the gimmick. Darren Young, I think, was an underrated wrestler. I think he was actually a pretty good wrestler. Um, they did they did the whole Bob Backlund thing with him, with him as a coach, which was really weird. Um, and then eventually got released. But I'm just reading right now. I saw an article online where apparently he wants them to do a Nexus reunion in in WWE at some point, maybe at WrestleMania or something. Which okay, well, I want the WWE to hire me, you, and Adam Gillespie as their play by play commentary team. <laughs> But I don't think all of that's going to happen. I mean, we'd be better than the Raw commentary team it's, at this point. Look, let's be honest. My eight-year-old son would be better than that. Um, Look, <laughs> the only thing, here's what I feel like. I feel like the primetime players didn't get the credit they deserved. I think they came out with something that was entertaining. I think whether they were heel or whether they were face, I think they, I, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here because I, I don't. I'm not going to say I'll offend. I think an African-American tag team was a struggle for the WWE to accept putting over. Well, I mean, New Day. New Day keep in mind, New Day consisted of a superstar that was very over, and they were before the New Day. 
That's very true. They were. Now, I guess, honestly, when they came along, it was a time... It wasn't that they were. Well, the tag team was dead. Tag team division. The tag team division. You think it's dead now? Look at it in 2012 when they came in in, and debuted on the main roster. Look, they. It wasn't that they were an African American tag team. It was the fact that they were tag team. Period. I mean, and you've seen that they tried at times to push Titus O'Neil in in certain uh, positions. They tried. I think they did that mini push with Darren Young with Bob Backlund as manager, which again is bizarre. But I don't know. I. If they may have de- if they'd have debuted five years later, they might have had a better shot, honestly. Because to me, what you get from them, what you got from them back then, is all very similar to the Street Profits. Street Profits remind me a lot of them, except that the Street Profits, at least, at least with uh, Ford, is he's a much better wrestler than any any of those guys. But um, I think from a gimmick standpoint, they're similar. I think the I feel like the primetime pr- players were so over and so. Because there was a chance. Keep in mind, and I've asked this question before, and I don't know if you know this, that uh, uh, what was Darren Young's tag team partner? I'm throwing a monk on his name. Titus O'Neil? Titus O'Neil. Titus O'Neil is a member of the fraternity Omega Sci-Fi. Right. The hooks that he does, it is actually... Hua, hua, hua. Correct. That's a part of their fraternity. Right. It's one of those things that's very controversial that I'll go ahead and tell you. If you ever go to a historical black college or university, don't do that. I don't plan on it. Because they will beat the living bejesus out of you. <laughs> and that's one of the things, though, that I've, I've asked million of guys, millions of guys that I know, not literally million, but I know tons of guys who are in that fraternity of, you know, you guys got young kids and men and women doing something that you guys feel is sacred. How do you feel about that? And mm-hmm. it gave notoriety. And I think they bought something that was there that bought a different avenue of wrestling into it. Sure. And I don't. I just don't think the WWE knew what to do with it. Well, you have to understand the importance of it and know how to actually use that. And it's one thing to have something unique to a character, to, to something you can play to, point out. It's another thing to know how to like put that into play into a storyline. And I think a lot of times, even when they stumble upon something unique like that, it's like, okay, well, how do you use that? Well, not only that, I don't think they had anybody to back with them. I mean, you think back to Crime Time. Sure, Crime Time got the push of DX. Yeah. And they didn't know any. And, and this isn't even a African American thing. I think it's just trying to figure out what to do with tag teams that it's been really tough. Aren't just traditional tag teams that right. can be gimmicky and fun. Mm-hmm. I think it's been a tough one. Uh, another another uh, former WWE superstar who was a part of Nexus. Um, you and him have quite a few. You have something in common. This guy went by his professional <laughs> ring names, the Bunny. Because he was a part of uh, the Adam Rose. Yes, the Adam Rose. He was the bunny. Oh, gosh. Justin Angle. Justin Gabriel. Paul Lloyd. Paul Padoras. Paul Lloyd Jr. Or PJ Black. But in WWE, when he was with the Nexus, he went by Justin, Justin Gabriel. Gabriel. He was actually a South at one of the first, and if I'm not mistaken, only at the time, South African-born professional wrestler in the WWE. He was a high flyer. Yep. I was a Justin Gabriel fan. Oh, he's a yeah, you know, great wrestler. Was, I thought him and Heath Slater were actually quite an underrated tag team. They I agree. Were probably the best wrestlers of the stable. Minus, I mean, I thought Wade Barrett was was pretty solid, but I think Justin Gabriel was probably the best out of all of them. Very talented. Did a very nice, very safe, but still crisp looking four fifty splash. And I mean, I always thought that he could have gotten a bigger push than he did, but never really got there. I think. 
you know, him and Tyson Kidd had a tag team there for a while. It was like International Airstrike mm-hmm. or something like that, which I thought could have gone somewhere and could have been a really big deal, but they never quite went there with it. Of course, it's a tag team. Why would they? Well, not only is it a tag team, I think one of the things WWE struggled with, he was a, I don't want to call him a cruiserweight because he looked bigger than most cruiserweights, but he, cruiserweight style, cruiserweight-esque, lucha, luchador style, and I don't think the WWE... He was too early. Yeah, they didn't know what to do he with was five, it. He was about five to six years too early. He he, he kicked, and he flipped, and he was a high mm-hmm. flyer, and it was just kind of, we don't know He'd what to do. He'd fit in great right now. We don't, they like didn't NXT know what to do with or yes, any of those. you're exactly right. He actually, right before he finally got his release from WWE, he was actually kind of a regular participant on NXT there for a little bit when Tyson Kidd was down there. He was going after Neville when Neville was NXT champion, and, and Justin Gabriel kind of had his back as a heel down there, and they were doing some good stuff, and maybe if he'd have stayed, he might have done something big in NXT, but it didn't pan out, but he's kind of... Uh, flew around different places since he's left WWE. I think he's in Ring of Honor right now, known as the uh, the Darewolf, which oh, is I think is an interesting little name, but whatever. Good luck with that one there, uh, <laughs> Justin. Good luck there, Justin boy. It's PJ oh, Black. Yeah, right. Whatever he wants to be called. He's like you. Change his name next week. By the way, he's a former Impact Wrestling King of the Mountain champion. Do you remember the King of the Mountain title? <laughs> Impact's still alive, by the way. Why? Hard to Kill is coming up on Sunday, January the 14th. See, that's just it. It's not killing them. It's when they declare chapter Sorry, 13. Sorry, January 12th. It's when they declare chapter 13 bankruptcy. They're not. It's not killing them. It's more so just having them close their doors and lock them. By the way, speaking of impact, did you see the, the news that, or at least, it's not news, but it, they teased the thing on their Twitter account, which, yes, they actually have an active Twitter, believe it or not. Teasing well, it's free. the return. That's true. That's true. That's why you know they can do Twitch with their impact show every week, because it's I guess it's free, free for them to yeah, stream that. Anyway, uh, they teased the return of the most dangerous pay-per-view event in TNA history. Or Impact Wait, Wrestling let me guess history. the name of it. Hold on. The most dangerous pay-per-view in TNA and Impact Wrestling history. The name of it is the fact that we're putting on a pay-per-view and we don't know how we're going to pay for it. I thought we were going to say NWA TNA Special 1 that aired on the, the weekly pay-per-views back in the day. That no, was no, kind, no. That was a dangerous is, concept. This is going to be the name of it. It's it's so dangerous that if you guys don't buy it from us, we're not going to have the money to make the next show. It's so dangerous that we can't even call it by name because somebody might sue us and we don't have the court costs that we can cover anymore. We, 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 unless there is a lawyer who also wants to be a pro wrestler... We can't afford to do this. No. Were they bringing David Otunga just for that to be like lawyer slash wrestler? Oh, good grief! Well, and in case you're trying to figure that out out there listening, they're actually it looks like they're talking about bringing Lockdown back. Which, if you remember, that was their all cage pay per view where they would every match would be a cage match, but in order to make them special, all the cage matches were gimmicked in some way. Timeout. They can afford a cage. That's a good question. Well, like they, they didn't enough. say it was going to be a good cage. Oh, so this is like one of those cages where the opening's like 12 inches in diameter. So if you're small enough, you could actually like, you can't, like scaling this cage could be hazardous to your health. I mean, well, is it going to be like the old big blue cage that WWE had with the the steel, actual steel, or is it going to be like a fence? <laughs> Literally, it's like- Are the they f- going to take fence from like a- It's the fence out of Dixie Carter's yard. <laughs> They literally are going to yank it all up from around her house, and then is there gonna, like a is there maybe like a closed like 
uh, you know, penitentiary or somewhere that they don't actually hold criminals anymore, that they had like the the big gates to keep them from getting out? Are they just going to borrow that? Is it like gray like rope? condemned condemned fences from a lot somewhere? It's it's old WCW, ECW ropes and turnbuckles that are just kind of hanging there so you bounce off of them? My it's a disturbing gravy. I don't. It, for one, that was a bad concept to begin with. What do you it, mean, that company? No, the the company was a great concept. It's it's just gone awry. The pay per view, not so good. Uh, you're right, and it's amazing they're still around. And you made mention hard of, to kill. Maybe they need to give this guy a January call. 12th. He's still kind of hanging out there. David Otunga. Now, some of you guys might know David Otunga by the VH1 show Love. I love New York too. He went by the nickname Punk. So before he made it to WWE, he went after a female who went by the name of New York from loving I Love Flavor Flavor, Flavor of Love. That's it. So this is when the dating reality shows VH1 had them all. They had I Love New York, Flavor of Love, Love Brett Michaels, Love Ray J. They had quite a few of them out there. Just for the record, this is the I'm last having a stomach ache right now. This is the last time you're going to hear any of this shows <laughs> mentioned on this podcast ever again. David Otunga was a part of all of that, and after he left all of that, he went on to be a wrestler, and he was a part of the Nexus. But what made him most famous? Marrying Jennifer Hudson. Exactly. That's what we really knew him from. Wait, wait, wait. It wasn't any of those reality shows. I actually have to say this correctly. Having a child with and dating Jennifer Hudson, they never formally got married. They were engaged. They never formally got married. Huh. So go figure with that one. Okay, then. But David Otunga, now he was also a Harvard graduate. He graduated yes, from Harvard yes, Law School. Yes. So he was a Harvard graduate. Smart guy. Very he was also so. tag team champions with uh, John Cena. Very well spoken. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody was, remembers that. <laughs> he was tag team partners <laughs> and tag team champions with John Cena for like, what, a day? For a day. Only for Slater and Gabriel to win the belts from him. That's because Barrett it. ordered Cena to lay down. Go figure. He was a two-time tag team champion. Yeah, him and McGillicuddy, a.k.a. Curtis Axel, were oh, legit tag team grief. champions. And, you, you remember who they beat? Uh, no. Kane and the Big Show. One of those two guys must have been hurt at that point. <laughs> he was also, uh, was wasn't he like the GM for... Uh, no, uh, he was the he was the assistant, assistant to John, John. Laronitis. John Laronitis, oh, who, who is the stepfather of Bree and uh, Nikki Bella, because yes. he's married their mother. Um, and I'm the interim GM of Monday Night Raw in the official GM and talent relations. That was just... That, People honestly, power! That was probably one of the worst eras in wrestling for me. That was a bad... I won't say worse, but that was a bad era. There's only one thing during that era that made it good. CM Punk. That's it. And the, honestly, the only reason John Laurinaitis says all those made sense is because he was like CM Punk's Vince McMahon. I mean, I remember the first time that CM Punk hit the GTS on Laurinaitis. I'm like, that might have been Punk's Austin Stuns McMahon moment. Except that it, it led to John Cena feuding with Laurinaitis instead, which, go figure. Oh, boy, that was a bad one. Yeah. Uh, another one. This guy, I don't know if we'll be able to find where he is. Michael Tarver. Oh, good question. Last time I heard he was in New Japan, and then after that, I have no clue where he went after that. Michael Tarver won nothing. I type in Michael Tarver, first thing I see is Dennis, but I don't think that's him. He wore like a ski mask to the ring. I don't ever remember him talking. You want to know something about Tarver? You, you said New Japan. 
Yeah. I, I look up his Wikipedia page. So he debuted in 2014 in New Japan. He teamed in one of their events with somebody from the NWA to challenge uh, for the NWA World Tag Titles. The name of this partner was Big Daddy Yum Yum. And the you know sad what? thing is, poor Hiroshi uh, Tenzan and Satoshi Kojima had to be the ones facing them. You know what? Like we're, poor, we're not, I feel bad for them. We're not even going to talk. Tenzan about and Kojima. It's not worth our worth our time. We're not going to weigh our, our our listeners and our fans <laughs> down with this. Michael Tarver, if you're out there listening, we love to have you on. Though, where are you? Uh, you know, he, didn't he? He had like a boxing or an MMA background or some type. I think. You think he could take a swing on Red Dog? Michael Tarver, you can catch me at John Rad four fifty. Uh, Colwell, what, what's your name this week on Twitter? At Bearded Colwell, you can tweet to one of us, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have you on. It looks like you are on the Twitters. I am, and I've actually found Michael Tarver on Twitter. Are you sure it's Michael I, Tarver? It's not verified, but then again, how would Michael Tarver be verified? Or why would he be verified? <laughs> exactly. Apparently, he's now a deadlifter. It said, according to this tweet. And it came from him, of course, so you don't know if it's actually true. It says, it's official. I am a world record holder, 100% raw, powerlifting, world record deadlift, 727 pounds. All right. He won it in uh, Calgary earlier last year. I'm going to stop making jokes about that guy because he could come in here and pick he both of you He could punch you in there. the face. He could probably lift both of us, apparently, with both arms. Well, here's the thing about it. Um, you don't have to be the slowest person. Just know that you'll be sacrificed so I can get away. Uh, <laughs> I figured that was going to be Road Dogs thing. Hopefully he'll show up next week, and if Road Dogs here, we're using him. Well, we're going to use somebody. Now, one of the guys who I thought would have had the, mo- the most shining star of the Nexus, the original Nexus, he was the original leader of the Nexus, and that's Wade Barrett. I expected Wade the Barrett Barrage to have a very long-standing career with the WWE and to be very successful. Boy, was I wrong. Well, you know what? We talked about... Sasha Banks and Sami Zayn being injury prone and having to kind of stay, take steps back. Every time it seemed like Wade Barrett was getting traction as a singles wrestler, outside of the Nexus. Now, he was big time over as a part of Nexus, challenged two separate pay-per-views, Randy Orton at the height of Randy Orton's 2010 world title reign. So he was pretty over then, but once the Nexus dissolved and he was kind of on his own, he floundered for a little bit, was starting to get somewhere. He messed his arm up going into WrestleMania 12, or uh, WrestleMania 2012, so I guess it was, what, 28, I think? Um, And every time it seemed like he was starting to get somewhere, when he would come back, he would get hurt again. He had the Bad News Barrett gimmick, which really... That was great. Him coming up on that... I uh, got some bad news for you. Bad news. And, I mean, uh, he got himself over just by doing that, not even wrestling, and then he comes in, wins the Intercontinental title, gets hurt again. He was so injury prone, and then he got. <laughs> you remember when he won King of the Ring? Yes, he was a King of the Ring, King five-time Barrett. IC champion. But what happens lately, and probably since I would say since Booker T won King of the Ring, what has happened pretty much to every King of the Ring winner? They just kind of flounder out. Exactly, there a bit. William nothing. Regal, nothing. King of the Ring almost killed Sheamus. I mean, King Sheamus almost did him in. It did nothing for Baron. I mean, they're trying to do something with Corbin, but time will tell there. I think the big thing that he had going for him, though, remember the League of Nations? Sheamus, Barrett, Rusev. Why are you bringing that one up? Del Rio. Eh, Because I thought it was, keep in mind, two out of three of those were former WWE champions. Sure. 
Rusev was just on his way up because that's when they realized, okay, Rusev can't do it on his own. Lana can't maintain her accent long enough. <laughs> so we got to try and put something together here. And what it was is you took these foreign, these, I guess I'm going to say, I hope I'm not being disrespectful, foreign-born superstars, and they formed a team that I thought you still had some International superstars. Yeah, league you still had something there that I thought, okay, you put these four together, you might actually have something there. Because Rusev, he came out, remember, he challenged John Cena, won the United States Championship. Barrett had had multiple feuds with John Cena and Orton. Sheamus had one. So what do they all have in common? The top guy they had feuds with. So it seemed like he had something that he could have rolled with there, and it just never continued on from there. And like you said, him being accident prone, it didn't make it much easier for him to continue on. But he was, he, I thought he would have had a longstanding career in the WWE, but essentially he got his release, what was it, 2016? Dude, that was just 2016. 16, yeah. he got his release. And, and he hasn't really wrestled since. No. He's been... I know he was like the commissioner of one of the, I'm not sure which British or UK scene wrestling promotions he was commissioner of, but just recently at the end of the fire pay-per-view NWA held here in Atlanta, he uh, replaced Jim Cornette as the color commentator now for the uh, NWA's TV program, Power, and their upcoming pay-per-views, so I thought he did a pretty good job with that. But yeah, he hasn't really wrestled since because I think he wanted to try his hand at acting. He did some, I think he did some acting while he was under the WWE umbrella. But he, uh, man, he could have been so much better than he was. But again, the injuries caught up with him. And I think with the League of Nations, at that point, I think, I think Vince had pretty much lost confidence in the fact that he could build around that guy because of the injuries. He was. He was an afterthought in that group. Well, it was I mean, more we, about Del Rio. It was more about Sheamus. Sheamus was the one that was the world champion at the time, and they formed the group. Rusev had the, had the big push. He was just kind of there as King Barrett. That was it. Well, and I think also, I mean, Rusev, the problem they ran into with Rusev, they realized real quickly, okay, if you remember, Rusev came out with no shoes on. Yes. And broke his foot. Yes. So they realized, okay, uh, you got to put boots on. Del Rio, remember Del Rio, was this the second time after That was his second stint. So they were kind of waiting on, you know, they weren't fans of Del Rio. Del Rio just was time and place and was still had a hit in his hands. But they he had gotten into some issues backstage. He had gone and been in a few different companies. And I think they were still wait, waiting because we talked about it. If you listen to the show earlier, uh, you get punished when you leave. Yeah. And they wanted to punish him. And one of the ways they punished him is they said, here, you go date Paige. And then Paige cheated on him with Xavier Woods. And? I can't remember the other guy's name. Brad Maddox. And then Brad Maddox. So No, you got to say it like CM Punk used to say it when he was the crooked referee. Brad Maddox. Brad Maddox. Maddox. Speaking of CM Punk, <laughs> CM Punk was the leader of the new Nexus. Which oh gosh! It was, yeah, this is it, it kind of got a Far little... cry from the Straight Edge Society and... Well, he didn't really have any other stuff. I was about to say, he other, just... Well, he was like... When, you remember when he was like, for a brief second, part of the new breed, that ECW stable that was like Elijah Burke and... Oh, yeah! Matt Stryker, the vampire Kevin Thorne, Marcus Corvon, a.k.a. Monty Brown, which I could go on for days how TNA wasted that opportunity. Oh, good night. Yeah. But we know where CM Punk <laughs> is. He's currently on uh, WWE's Fox or FS1 show. Is he, though? He comes on there about once every, I don't know, six weeks. Well, he doesn't work for the WWE. He works for Fox now. Keep That's in true. mind. So. Yeah, they got to keep him special because he's really moving the needle on those ratings. Well, look, 
CM Punk, one day he might jump back into the ring. I really hope he does. Okay. I hope it's at WrestleMania. So we really have two here that I want to acknowledge. Do you want to go current superstar or past superstar? Which one would you choose? Mm. Play a wonderful game. Let's go past. Actually, we have three that I have to acknowledge. A third one that I'll have to acknowledge. Okay. Current superstar, past superstar, and then we just don't know what this one's doing. Okay, let's save that one for last because I'm intrigued. Let's okay. go current superstar. First. Current superstar, Husky Harris. Oh! <laughs> I think I've seen him on a kids like program that is supposed to be really creepy. And oh, he wears Zowie! Oh, no! Husky Harris. Husky Harris? Husky Harris. I said Husky. <laughs> I was trying to say it. Uh, what? Real name, Wyndham Lawrence Rotunda. Yes. The son of Mike Rotunda, IRS. He found a way to literally reinvent himself not once but twice and has been famed as one of the greatest minds in pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. He is now the fiend in WWE. Kudos to this man for literally, because Husky Harris, he had potential. Husky Harris looked like you, except you're not as athletic as he was. No. And I'm not saying that to be mean. No, no, I understand. He was very athletic. Yes. He, I mean, just could move around the ring like a champ. He came back as Bray Wyatt, and we just kind of looking like uh, Cape Fear, looking like Pacino from Cape mm -hmm. Fear, mm -hmm. wearing just you know hat, Bermuda shirt, made the Wyatt family. Though I don't, I don't feel like the Wyatt family, I feel like, it plateaued too quickly. It underachieved, I think. Yes. I think there was so much more there that could have kept going on, particularly once you added the monsters of Luke Harper, Eric Rowan, and then adding uh, Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman. I, I think there was way more. I think, I think we could still have the Wyatt family oh, rolling around. absolutely. Look, they didn't, you couldn't put over Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family at the expense of John Cena at WrestleMania. How could you ever do such a thing? Honestly, that would have been <laughs> Daniel Bryan wins the world heavyweight title at WrestleMania at 30. That's when the Wyatt family's on the rise. Bray Wyatt's already beaten uh, Daniel Bryan. Bray Wyatt beats John Cena. If Bray Wyatt wins the feud with John Cena, who is the natural opponent to face Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam? Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt. That could have been great stuff. Granted, who knew at the time that Daniel Bryan was going to have the neck problems and have to forfeit the belt anyway? That's beside the point. That could have done a lot there. But I'll tell you what. Now now that he's become the Fiend, he's accomplished another big accolade for his career, right? He had already won the WWE World Heavyweight title on SmackDown a few years ago. Now he's won the Universal title. But if you look at both of those, honestly, I don't think either one of those are his greatest accomplishment. I think his greatest accomplishment... Looking up with JoJo? That's a pretty good one, too. Nobody remembers Husky Harris anymore. No. He's shed that horrible name, horrible gimmick. I'm with you. I'm like, you could have done something. If anything, he reminded me of a mix. When he debuted, it was like a mix between his dad, Barry Wyndham, his uncle, yep. and Dusty Rhodes. He kind of had Dusty's physical appearance. He had Dusty's belly, midsection. Yes. He wore cowboy boots to the yes. cowboy He looked, honestly, looks more like his uncle than he does his dad, I think. He kind of wore cowboy boots to the ring. He literally disappeared, and it it took for someone to tell me, that's Husky Harris. Mm -hmm. He grew his beard out. Yep. He grew his hair out. Yep. 
he dropped probably about 20 pounds and packed on about five pounds, five to 10 pounds of muscle and came out there with just this gimmick that this was back in what the FCW days. Yes. Right at the tail end of FCW. Where they started it and he came out Mm -hmm. and he'd wrestle in just pants. There was no wrestling tights. He'd have a singlet on. Yep. He brought the rocking chair to the ring. Mm -hmm. He brought the fireflies. He, even at one point in time, just when you think, okay, this whole Bray Wyatt thing, it's kind of run its course. They've had the interaction with The Rock. They've had things with with, uh, Randy Orton. Then what happens? He partners with what would have been one of the hottest gimmicks in pro wrestling for a long time. He becomes the deleter of worlds because he partnered with Broken Matt Hardy. Yes. Now keep in mind, Matt. Woke, no, not Woken Matt, Matt Hardy. Hardy. I hate that Woken Matt Hardy. <laughs> he was very woke. See, if Impact Wrestling yes. would have sold it to WWE, they'd not have a little bit more money. Maybe. But I th- <laughs> he went with the hottest gimmick, and then what did he do? He went away. He got injured. He had a child. Got remarried. Had a divorce. Got remarried. Mm-hmm. Had a child. Came back, and he came back with the hottest gimmick that's just yep. as hot as mankind. Mm-hmm. Kane. Undertaker, the list goes on and on. When you think of gimmicks, he put himself up there with it. He managed to find like the ultimate horror character to play that literally horror, 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 horror. I I got a little trivia for you here. Now, is this from the "Where Are They Now?" or did you even know they existed? uh, Files. When Bray Wyatt, the Bray Wyatt character, debuted, he wasn't initially teaming with Luke Harper or Eric Rowan. Can you guess who he was actually teaming up with in FCW? I don't know. Eli Cottonwood. If anybody remembers uh, either season two or three of NXT, the actual quote-unquote reality show. Yeah, that's who he was teaming up with originally. (laughs) Thank goodness by the time that NXT became a thing. Uh, an actual like regular TV show, and the FCW become the or NXT become the developmental. That was gone by then, and by the time he saw Wyatt again, he was with Luke Harper, and I think Eric Rowan came a little came after a little that. Later, yeah, yeah. All right, so as we finish up here, we get on the back stretch. We got two superstars left. One we're wondering what is he doing, and then the other one, he truly is a. I, I'm using the word superstar loosely. Which one would you like? I told you, I, the mystery one I won't last because that's really intriguing. Let's go with the, well, I guess the one from the past. His real name, Barry Griffiths. I said it right, Griffiths. Hmm. I'll give you another uh, uh, descriptive one. Okay. A knockoff Batista. Oh, Mason Ryan. <laughs> oh, Mason Ryan. <laughs> If Batista had done about another eight eighteen thousand rounds of steroids and literally had no gap between his arm muscles and his like side muscles, yeah, he'd have been Mason Ryan. And Mason Ryan looked. I mean, literally the first time I saw him, I thought Batista got taller. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? How did he get taller? And then you saw Mason Ryan. He was a part of the new Nexus. It was led by mm-hmm. CM Punk. Once oh. again, Vince McMahon ruined this guy. I'm I'm throwing it on Vince because he looks exactly like what Vince wants. He's big, he's muscly. Vince pushed him. 
<laughs> Vince McMahon didn't ruin Mason Ryan. Mason Ryan was never going to be anything. <laughs> he was no he had no charisma. He had no in ring ability. The only thing that you could say unique about him was at the time, this when WWE started having a lot of that international flair between their superstars. He's the at the time the and up until I guess when they introduced NXT UK, he's the only Welsh superstar I knew of in WWE. But other than that, there was nothing interesting or good about Mason Ryan. Easily the weakest member of the new Nexus, which actually, top to bottom, I didn't think it was a bad stable because it was it was Punk, it was Otunga, but then it was Husky Harris yep. and Michael McGillicuddy. Correct. You have Kurt Henning's kid, Mike Rotunda's kid. You had a pretty good little stable there. And then here's this guy named Mason Ryan. Uh, in 2006, it was announced that Mason Ryan, he announced on Twitter that he'd be working for Cirque du Soleil. 2006? 16. Oh, okay. He said he'd be working for Cirque du Soleil. Well, I mean, I'm sure he can do something with lifting or actually it'd be... Throwing or... Could you imagine if he was doing like the... the, like try the What do they call that where they're doing the flips and they're hanging from the... Acrobat? Uh, yeah. What, what if he was doing the acrobat stuff? That'd be pretty impressive. He <laughs> he's a little bit muscly. Yeah, just a little bit. All right. So the mystery one. Ooh. If you've been paying attention, you probably know who it is. Uh, before I tell you who he is, I'll tell you some of his accolades and let's see if you can figure out who he is. Once I run down through it, you should come up to him pretty easily. One-time OVW heavyweight champion. One-time OVW Southern tag team champion. He is a two-time Royal Rumble winner, a Money in the Bank winner, a five-time U.S. champion, two-time tag team champion, two-time world tag team champion, three-time world heavyweight champion, and this one should give it away. He's a 13-time WWE champion. Randall Keith Orton. Actually, no. He was never no. a part of the Nexus. John Oh, Cena. we're still talking about the Nexus. Cena was a part of the Nexus. Uh, Remember, Orton was a part of uh, the faction. Yeah, no, Orton was opposite them. Yes. Yes, I, I honestly, I'd kind of forgotten that we were talking about the Nexus. Yes, you forgot that Cena and Otunga won the tag team champions. They did. As well as, as we talked in this exact conversation here on this podcast, at, I have forgotten over the course. As well as Cena won them <laughs> with The Miz. Yes, he did. John Cena lost a match. He had to bow down and he had to join the Nexus. Yes. And so for, I guess what we'll say and be challenging, John Cena was a heel. I'm using the finger quotes because he had to do what the Nexus instructed him to. Actually, I thought that was a good storyline. I really, It was. Because for the first time in a long time, that storyline had people on Cena's side. I mean, he had been getting the Cena. Let's Cena get, sucks. Yeah, he'd been getting that mixed reaction for years, and that's the first time in a long time that really you had a lot of cheers for John Cena. They did that whole storyline where he had to referee the. I think he refereed one match with Orton and Wade Barrett, and then he had to wrestle. He did the next month too, and that one if he. If he counted down, I think if he counted Orton as a winner, his career was over. Or Correct. if, you know, if he screwed Orton and let Barrett win, then he sacrifices quote unquote Cena integrity or whatever. He had he won the tag belt, and then the next day or the next few days, yep. whatever, immediately Slater and he Gabriel. had to lay down so he could lose them, and he had to be the one to lose. Yep. yep. Uh, Throughout the whole thing, you know, obviously we know the storied history of NXT. I mean, of NXT, of John Cena. Um, what's he doing? Is he coming back? Is he going to give us one more match? 
I no, he's he's going to wrestle again. I have no doubt in he's my mind. Down so much, but I don't think he's that not matters. as muscly. I don't think that that necessarily matters. I think he could still have one more match. I think he can have multiple matches. I think he could have some tag team matches. There's some stuff that could happen. I had a thought, and that's usually dangerous. But I had a thought earlier that you know I'm looking at. And we're going to take a jump out of WWE World for just a second. I'm thinking about AEW earlier, and I'm you know we're as you described it perfect on the show earlier. It's that we're in that kind of early dating dating phase phase where, look, we want to really love AEW, but have they done enough to make us love AEW yet? And they haven't. And to me, it's they're missing something to, you know, I think the storyline development hasn't quite been where it needs to be. And they're just kind of missing some star power, I think, to some level. And I'm thinking, who in the world would make the biggest impact of AEW, like who could be the biggest thing that they could do? And I got to thinking, I mean, I'm surely John Cena's under contract to WWE, but you know, you remember when The Rock was technically under contract, but then all of a sudden he wasn't because so the rumor in the window was that they just forgot to renew his contract. Correct. What if that happened with John Cena? Here's the thing about that: Cena prides himself for what WWE provided to him. Sure, sure. I think. And keeping in mind, John Cena, whose real real name is John Cena. Yes, John he did Cena not change it legally no. to be John Cena. His name. He didn't have a. Is. He didn't have. He didn't have a judge looking at him like he had lost his ever loving mind when he wanted to name himself Ryback legally. No, his real name John <laughs> Felix Anthony Cena. He kept, Can he a junior too. Yes. Yes. He took pride in that hustle, loyalty, respect. And he's loyal to the WWE for the life that it created for him. Because if it wasn't, John Cena's just another guy from West Newbury, Massachusetts. That's not a multimillionaire. That's not known the world over. You can't see You literally him. wouldn't be able to see him because you wouldn't you know, would he, know existed. Who he was. Yeah. And I think he loves what Vince has done for him and the WWE, and he won't portray that. Like Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels had ample opportunities where he could have left the WWE. Sure. He didn't. You ha- Undertaker. Undertaker, another one. He's And if you go through the halls of, of pro wrestling history, and I'll take out the fact that WWE purchased ECW, at WWE purchased, uh, then WWF purchased WCW and ECW. We'll take that out. Because Booker T very well could have been that as well. The lifelong w- WCW guy. Sure. Sting was a lifelong WCW guy. Mm-hmm. He, I think he prides himself on the fact of, I started here, I ended here. The Rock, I started here, I ended here. I can come back whenever I want. I can get that pop, hopefully, and I'm still loved as well as I'm still known the world over. Well, all I'm going to say is, you know who else said for the longest time that I'm wrestling for Vince for life. I'll never wrestle anywhere else. El Champion, Chris Jericho, used to say that Till he was green in the face, blue in the face, whatever you want to say, that he was never going to wrestle anywhere else. Then, well, maybe I'll wrestle a match for New Japan. Let's see what happens. Oh, then here's this new concept, AEW. Well, what's, why not? See, but that's not a fair statement. Okay. Because Chris Jericho started in WCW. Okay. Remember, Chris Jericho was a cruiserweight yeah. in WCW. Okay. He got a push to the T. John Cena started there. Cena Nation started there. Rocky Maivia <laughs> became the rock there. I, I guess you can even make the argument because technically, was it 
mean mean Mark Callos actually Mark Callos, yeah. Actually started in, in WCW. WCW yep. But he they the Jericho has proven that his loyalty is about as thin as a piece of paper. No disrespect to him. <laughs> but he's proven that. But when you look just at, in the last couple of years. I think ever since he's been in WWF, because at no point he couldn't trust me. I mean, if you think that he didn't get some offers from TNA back in the day when he every time that he would go away from WWE for two, three, four years and wasn't under contract, if you think they weren't making overtures to him, you're crazy. See, and but, I'm sure he debated it some. But I think the portion of it that he enjoyed, Fozzie still got it gave. Uh, from a business standpoint, it gave Fozzie another platform. Sure. Remember the intros that Fozzie made. It yeah. gave his band a second platform. And I think that's the thing that John Cena likes, too. From a business standpoint, if John Cena comes out with another movie, it's not backed by AEW. AEW can't afford to back it yet. No disrespect to what they're doing. I like what they're doing. I don't know that Cena's movies that he's doing now are still technically backed by WWE because no, no, no. they're not what, WWE films. What I mean by that, though. From a promotional standpoint? Jumanji is showing through WWE pr- shows. Why? Because The Rock's in it. Sure. If John Cena does another movie, whether it's backed by WWE or not, it's going to show. Why? Because WWE is going to want to show their You know what, though? The argument there is that if <laughs> if Cena was really worried about that, if he's going to be in uh, like a Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers produced film, if he, I mean, that's going to end up advertised during a, a show like Dynamite because that's now time. It's Warner Media now that TN, that owns TNT, and so it's also going to show up on Fox. Sure, where it who's the larger platform, Fox Channel or? Or TNT. I get that. I get what you're trying to say. You're trying. You're making the argument of Cena ain't going to AEW. He ain't going nowhere. I don't near think AEW. he is either. But it's kind of interesting to think about, especially when who would have called Hulk Hogan in WCW at any point back in the '90s? I, as I'm raising my hand, I would have. Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. Hulk Hogan and what everyone forgets. Hulk Hogan had become Hollywood Hogan long before he saw where the window was and where the money was going because let's not forget Hulk Hogan knew WCW made the ring smaller because mm-hmm. they knew they had o- older superstars mm-hmm. so they knew they couldn't run the rings as hard because mm-hmm. that's the thing people forget that's why smaller ring that's why impact wrestling went from the octagon to the smaller ring because when the main event mafia came about <laughs> they couldn't run the ropes as far because no. the ring was bigger than the traditional square ring. A lot ring. of people didn't like the six-sided ring anyway. So it made it harder for them to run. Yeah. So WCW knew we, look okay Flair's kind of getting up there in years Luger's knees Kevin are, Nash can't run. Nash wasn't even there yet. Yeah. Nash wasn't even there. They made the ring smaller. If you go well, back, they and started look, signing all the big, big heavyweight guys from WWE too, like your John Tintas or Shark or whatever. Well, not only that though, it took had. the bigger guys. Remember, uh, you had Sean O'Hare, who was like six foot six, but would jump off the top turnbuckle. Yeah, and it remember he would jump off the top turnbuckle and clear three quarters of the ring. Yeah, and made it look more impressive. If you go back and you watch the story of the NWO. Scott Hall talks about, hey, man, come down here. The ring's smaller, and we'll get guaranteed contracts. But the ring was smaller before Scott Hall got there. Sure. Before Nash got there. Uh-huh. That's the way they were able to do it. Oh, and by the way, hey, Hogan, you can take on Ric Flair. You two are the biggest names 
in the business right now. Remember, Shawn Michaels wasn't the Shawn Michaels we know now. Bret Hart wasn't, Bret Hart Bret Hart. wasn't the Bret Hart that we know now. He got that way. So I saw that one coming even as a kid of WCW. WWF is not where he's staying. He's going someplace else. I think a lot of people figured he was going to. He was going to do his acting thing. He was done. He probably, when he comes back, he's going to be part of WWF, but it's going to be several years. But Also, on top of that, he knew that he didn't have to do as many. you got to remember, WWF's schedule is grueling. Oh, sure. Absolutely. WCW's wasn't nearly as grueling because they had the power plant, and so for their house shows, they wanted to use some of the power plants. I know guys wanted to make a ton of money back then, but my gosh, why would anyone in their right mind agree to work a schedule like that? They ran in the early '90s. It's it's like a horror story reading about that. It's insane, and that's something we'll talk about on the next podcast. Ooh, I like it, tease. <clears throat> because someone made a comment out there. I won't say who. You can go look it up for yourself if you find it. Tweet us. Let us know. Colwell, where can they find you? At Bearded Colwell. You can find me at John Rad Four Fifty. There's a WWE superstar, and I'm going to call him a WWE superstar, who said, "I don't like the schedule." But being on the main roster, I want to stay right where I am. And that could lead to him going to AEW because he might not have to work as hard. We'll talk about that on the next show. We'll talk about that on the next pod. Uh, uh, the finishing move of the dark match. I, I was like, the what's name. the name of our podcast, I man? The name of it was. What are we doing here? Man, are we not, just talking to ourselves? Dude, it's not. It's late and tired. I've had a long day. Look, but thank you for listening <laughs> to the finishing move of the dark matches. For my tag team partner, Chris Colwell, I'm Big John Radcliffe. You can check out the finishing move on the Sports X, 1230 AM, 106.3 FM. We'll be live from Cobb County in the Wellstar Health System Studios. Until next time, just understand, it's been a long day and we forget stuff. We'll talk to you soon. See ya.